0: Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look from verse 24 to verse 32, which is the portion that Brother Sadeesh had read for us. Now, the text before us this morning is quite a challenging one in our day and age because it is highly emotive when it comes to discussing matters of sexuality. And so I would really like to spend more time on this, which we're not going to do this morning, um, discussing homosexuality and sexuality in general. Uh, Now, we did a series some years ago, uh, looking at this over a few weeks, actually. But I think what I'd like to do is next Sunday, spend some time looking at the particulars of this passage as it it speaks of homosexuality and sexuality, uh, so to speak. And the reason why I want to do that is because homosexuality is not the point of the passage. It's one of the, the the arguments that Paul is using to make a point. And we don't want to miss the point of the passage that he is bringing forth from us by running down a rabbit trail. Alright, important rabbit trail which we'll address. And so we will do that next week uh, to discuss that specifically. But today we're going to try and understand how God responds man's sin and its effects at the present time like and that's really what Paul is is getting at uh, through this text so I want to give you a quick reminder because it's been a couple of weeks since we looked at Romans and so I want to take you back to uh, a little bit of a background to these verses now from verse 18 onward Paul begins a section discussing the dominance and the pervasiveness of sin over the human landscape There is simply no human being that is untainted by the effects of sin and by sin itself. Every one of us were completely affected by it, corrupted by it. Our nature is fallen, so to speak. And so from verses 18 to 23, we talked about God's righteous anger. That's what Paul is discussing with us over here. His righteous anger or his wrath of God that is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then he goes on to say that God is angry because men, people, us suppress the truth of God. We suppress God's truth even though God's existence, His divine nature and eternal power are clearly manifest in everything that is made all around us so that we are without excuse. None of us can say, oh I didn't know that God exists really because it's all around us. Clearly manifest. Nevertheless, people deny the existence of God. And he says they worship and they serve the created things or images resembling created things. Now, from verses 24 to 32, we read of God's response to man's exchange of God. To worship and serve. So, when man worships and serves created things, they are in effect exchanging God for things that are not God. And God is going to respond to that in these verses. That's what Paul is going to talk to us about God's response to those decisions and those choices that human beings are making. Now, fundamentally, we have to understand that this is God's world. And he is the creator and the rightful king of all that exists. People don't like that because we like to be the master and the commander of our own destinies, right? We want to be in control, we want to be in charge. And so we like gods that we can control. We like the ones that we can worship at our convenience and in our way. We like the ones the gods that are at our our beck and call you know whenever we just call on them they sort of run to our aid and they help us and then they disappear we like the gods who don't really care or interfere with how we live and so we you know we we appease them with these small offerings but we don't want them to interfere in the way we live in the choices and decisions that we make but that simply isn't the god of the bible it simply isn't who the one true God is. Because He's the one who commands and demands our worship and our allegiance. But more than that, He is worthy of our love and devotion because He is really good and glorious in every way. And so He's worthy of it. Not just that He demands it, but He's worthy of it. And so god takes it seriously when things go in a direction contrary to his will contrary to him being worshipped and glorified and honored he takes it seriously remember when jesus stood outside of the tomb of his friend lazarus and it tells us that he wept now why did jesus weep was it because he was sad that lazarus was dead not really because in a few minutes he's going to raise him back to life right and so that's not really what he's like oh i'm not sure if i'm going to be able to do this no he's, he's absolutely confident about what he's going to do but why jesus wept is because he was looking at the ravages of sin on his good creation he was looking at what sin had done and the hopelessness and the fear that it brought to all the people around them his good creation something that jesus himself the scriptures tells us was the one who created all things and so that's why jesus stood there and he wept and then in a moment of great authority and power he raised lazarus with a word from the dead but this wasn't how jesus had created the world to be and so god is righteously angry it's a good thing at what has happened to what he has created just think about it i mean the things that you and i the simple petty things that you and i do you know we make we make a nice present a nice powerpoint presentation i don't have one for you today but we make a nice powerpoint presentation we love it we show our family look at the effects i put today you know we feel so proud about it and then it gets deleted over silly things we feel so pained imagine god looking at his good creation tarnished and destroyed in that sense by sin wouldn't he feel anger wouldn't he feel a real sense of concern for it because God cannot remain indifferent and so how does God respond well it tells us you know it it talks about how does God respond to man's exchange simply put it says that God gave them up God gave them up. And I want you to notice in your Bibles, you can quickly look at it. Verse 24, verse 26 and 28. And you'll see it all those verses begin with those words. God gave them up. God gave them up. And God gave them up. Three times in response to man's rebellion and rejection of him now as i was thinking about this you know one of i was reading a couple of commentaries and one of the writers sees this as a normal course of things for when people choose sin they end up further and further away from god and so this is what happens so to speak and so that's true but i don't think it's the best way to understand what god is doing in these verses another commentator an old preacher actually john chrysostom he saw it as god removing his restraining hand from the life of a person so that was god's active work so to speak he takes himself out of the life of a person and things happen and that's also true in that sense it was as if god let the boat let off the boat that was being pulled by a strong current he was holding it and he let it go and it was pulled by the current a third option sees more of an active work of God in the handing over of the sinner to their sin. It's a much stronger word over here. And in fact, what you see in these verses is an active voice. God is actually actively handing a person over to their sin. Not just simply letting go of them, but actually handing them over to their sin. That's the other way of understanding that word. It's like a judge who hands over the prisoner to the punishment his crime has earned. That's what it's it's like. Now I was looking up the word, you know, and you don't need to remember this, but it's a Greek word, paradokein, that is used, and it it talks about this. It talks about it, it means to deliver one up to custody to be judged. That's what it is to deliver one up to custody. To be judged to give into the hands of another to give over to one's power now god does this in the old testament with israel i give you a verse psalm 81 verse 11 and 12 he says but my people did not listen to my voice israel would not submit to me so i gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels same phrasing psalm 81 verses 11 and 12 Now you have to ask the question and say, wait a minute, why would God do that? Why would God just give a person over to their sin? I want you to think about the story of the prodigal son for a moment. You know, when the son came to his father, he says, dad, he's the younger son that too. I want my share of the inheritance. The father would have known that the boy was not ready for it that he could not handle the big bad world out there nevertheless because of the boy's insistence and persistence that's crucial over here he gives him his share of the inheritance and sure enough this younger son he goes off and he squanders this money in no time and at the end of that account he's sitting in a pigsty unable to even eat the food that the pigs are eating when he comes to his senses And so God in that sense, you know, the father in that sense gave him over. Now, in some ways, we might understand that God's handing a person over might have a reforming effect on their life. It might work to change them. It might work to to shock them back into reality, so to speak. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm giving you a few examples here. 1 Corinthians 5, 5, you know, Paul instructs the church and he uses the same Greek word that I told you. He says about the sinful man. He says, I want you to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Interesting. Hand over this man his flesh for the to Satan for destruction, but so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. It's the same word to hand over, to deliver. And so when a person overindulges in their sin, God may hand them over to their sin so that they come back to their senses, like the prodigal son did, or like this man in 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. And I want you to understand this, that there may be some of the people of God who are caught up in an uncontrolled, sinful lifestyle. It's possible. You may know some people, at some point in their life, they gave their life to Christ, they were baptized even, they professed faith in Jesus, but something got a hold of them. And maybe, just maybe, like these two examples of the prodigal son and this person in 1 Corinthians 5, God has handed them over, in a sense, to their sin. But he would rescue them because they are his. He will redeem them because of what happens in these two examples. Right? And so that's one reason why God might hand over because it might have a reforming effect. But, but... God's giving up a person doesn't always have a reforming effect. And this is more sobering in that sense. And it may not even have a reforming goal for that matter. It's simply God's judgment on some people. That he gives them over to their sin and they will never be redeemed. And I'm not saying this. And we don't know who that is. And we should never judge who that is. You and I are called to proclaim the gospel of Christ to every single person. We have no idea who that person is. But some people fall into that category where they are in that sense almost irredeemable. Now let me show you where it is in the scriptures. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter. It's a large portion. Let me read it for you. Second Peter 2, 12-14. Peter writes, he says... And in the context he's talking about the ungodly read the context right the ungodly and he says but these like irrational animals creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction you see that handing over destroyed in their destruction suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing They counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. My goodness. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. And then he finishes, he says, accursed children. My goodness. That's a strong word from Peter. And so sometimes God's handing over has the goal of a judgment on that person for them never to be able to come back to Christ. And that's a terrifying thing. Terrifying thing. I want to talk to you about the results of God's judgment. And And this is good for us to think about because what does it actually look like? Let's say a person is handed over, like God has said, or he gives them up to their sin. What does it actually look like in their life? And so we see three effects from Romans 1, 24 to 32 uh, of, of, on, the, on the life of a person uh, who has been, in that sense, given up to their sin or handed over to their sin. Here they are, the three things that begin to happen. Number one, there is an increase in their desire for impurity. There's an increase in their desire for impurity. Number two, there is a loss of a sense of what is natural, good and right. And number three, there is a loss of rationality. A loss of rationality. So let's look at each of these, alright? Number one, when God judges a person and gives them up or hands them over to their sin, there is an increase in their desire for impurity here's what Paul says in verse 24 Romans 1:24. it says therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves to put it another way God gave them up to the desires of their hearts for impurity they wanted it They were desperate for it they were lusting uncontrollably after it and god said go go have it and what you end up seeing then is an increase that's what he says right an increase in impurity indecency coarse and crude joking in such a person they don't see the impurity of things they don't see it there are no boundaries they allow their eyes to watch whatever they want they allow their ears to listen to whatever they want they allow their lips to speak whatever they want and that's the phrase that paul is using over here the lust in the lust of their hearts that word lust is a word that speaks of uncontrolled inordinate desire desire that is out of control that's what it is And so in the lust of their heart, they wanted these things and God gives them over to it. It's an important one for us to understand. To lust after something is to have an uncontrolled or inordinate desire for that thing. It is a longing or craving for what is forbidden listen to what paul says in titus 1:15 and 16 again very similar to what peter has talked about as well he says to the pure all things are pure but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled they profess to know god but they deny him by their works they are detestable disobedient unfit for any good work i mean the bible is pretty hard this morning isn't it we love all the verses about you know for god so loved the world and and all these things and beautiful right but these are hard-hitting verses does god actually call people these things detestable disobedient unfit for any good work now here's here's the point for us true believers True believers who love the Lord will have a decreasing love and desire for what is impure. They will have a decreasing desire and love for what is impure. In fact, they will be increasingly dismayed at their heart's ability to think impure thoughts. They'd be dismayed at it. They'd be be stunned that they could do something like that. Because they belong to God. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers to purify us unto God. And that love for what is pure is a mark of God's ongoing work in our life. You see the difference over here, right? This is where God is present in your life. When God is present in your life, you're going to love what is pure. And you're going to be dismayed at the impurity that you find in your minds and in your hearts. And the things that you view with your eyes and the things that you think about. You're going to be dismayed at that. But that's an evidence of the work of God in your life but an evidence of the absence of the work of God is an increasing desire for impurity, an enjoyment of it even. So that's the first thing that we wanna notice over here, right, there's an increase in that desire for impurity. Let's go on to the second uh, thing that happens when when God hands a person over to their sin. And that is that there is a loss of a sense of what is natural, good and right there's a loss of a sense of what is natural good and right and so Paul says this right I'm going to read from verses 26 and 27 here's what he says for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions and listen to these carefully all right for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their sin. Now, like I said before, I don't think the main point of these verses is a discussion on homosexuality. It's an important one. We'll look at it next week. right? But the main point is that it is a description, listen to this carefully, of how people become twisted in their understanding and in their reasonability they become twisted in their understanding and their reasonability notice how he says over here they exchange what is natural for what is unnatural that's the point and homosexuality is one example an extreme example even Of this kind of a thinking that happens in the life of a person who has been given over to their sin because they're so blinded by their desire that they are willing to give up what is reasonable and natural and so when God gives them up to dishonorable passions like he says in that verse they become so devoid of what is good and right that they choose a deviant lifestyle. And like I said, homosexuality is one example of it. But people become so bizarre in their lifestyle choices or their understanding of relationship, relationships, not just in same-sex relationships, but a whole host of things. They become so unreasonable because God has no restraining influence and effect on their life. And so they will come up with ways to twist the scriptures to suit their own ideas and excuse their lifestyle that's what's going on that's what paul is talking about over here and god's judgment on them is to hand them over to further indulge their uncontrolled and unreasonable desires and choices in effect and i like this In effect, and I think C.S. Lewis said this and I don't have his words, I read it somewhere. But this is what he says. In effect, they become prisoners of their own self-indulgence. They become prisoners of their own self-indulgence. They think they're stepping into freedom, but they're actually stepping into bondage. That's what's going on. They're stepping into an area where they, they no longer have control of themselves. And so at the end of verse 27 paul says that they receive in them in themselves the due penalty for their error and the penalty for their error is god's judgment in removing them from his favor eternally it's a sobering thing terrifying thing for us to think about when you and i or anybody perseveres and perseveres and perseveres rebelliously against God at some point God is going to say go that's scary and it should be sobering for us Now, next week, I'm going to, like I mentioned, I'm going to take up this in a more detailed way. And so we'll, we'll get to that. But from, for this morning, let's move on uh, from these verses. And we talk about the third result of God giving them up. And that is in verses 28 to 32. There is a, a loss of rationality. A loss of rationality. Look at what he says in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done he gave them up to a debased mind or a worthless mind that's what he says or a depraved mind now it's interesting because in that verse it says and since they did not see fit that word for see fit is since they did not see it worthy to acknowledge god god gave them up to a worthless mind it's actually the same root word You don't see God as worthy. God gives you a worthless mind. That's what he's saying over here. He gave them up to a worthless mind. Their minds became twisted. And they rationalized all kinds of evil. Drop down with me to the end of that uh, chapter. Verse 32. Here's what he says. Though they knew God's righteous decree. That those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them. But give approval to those who practice them you see how confused and irrational not even confused irrational people are like this they know the consequences of their actions but they don't care anymore they just don't care anymore they not only do what they want they also applaud those who do these things they celebrate it think about that in the world there's so much of that isn't it there's a celebration of all kinds of things that are just so contrary to what is natural and good and right celebrated in the world today now if you read between verses 28 and 32 you will see a list of things that result from an irrational or worthless mind and here's what he says all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness Malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, slander, hating God, insolence, pride, boasting, inventing evil, disobedient to parents, foolishness, faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness. What a list that is. You know, just this past week, in fact, it was in yesterday's paper. A 19-year-old boy in Madhya Pradesh, in Sagar, was arrested. Uh, And he was arrested, I think, about 3 in the morning. He had killed, over the past 72 hours, he had killed 4 security guards. He just walked up to them, found them sleeping, smashed their head in. And when they caught him, he said two things. He said, I didn't like that they were sleeping on their job. And I wanted to become famous. 19 year old boy. And apparently he was smiling. When they caught him. And you know what they'll do? They'll find psychological things. And they'll excuse him. And he'll probably get out of jail even. But that's irrationality. That's a debased mind. That's a depraved mind. That can think in such twisted and devious ways. Sinful, evil ways i can't imagine what goes through people minds like that but that's what happens when sin is entertained in our lives it's like a cancer if you don't get rid of it it spreads and grows and it's all consuming till it destroys you gotta deal with it and if you're a believer you've gotta deal with sin don't allow it to linger on in your life don't play around with fire You know, the the wise teacher of Proverbs says to the young man, he says, "If if if you play around with adultery, it's like holding fire close to your chest. It's going to burn you up. Don't play with it. Because sin is dangerous. And when people reject God or they don't see God as worthy of worship, they end up going down a track that leads only to greater depths of evil and depravity there's an increase in their desire for impurity there's a loss of a sense of what is natural good and right and there is a loss of a sense of what of rationality loss of a sense of rationality now this present creation let me close over here just a couple more comments is subjected to these things under god's judgment Right. They're subjected under God's judgment. Now, on the one hand, we must understand that this is what people want. So, in fact, in Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 to 19, Paul writes this. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They have given themselves up to those things. And so when a person gives themselves up to those things, God ultimately will give them up to what they have given themselves to And so God hands them over to their sin. And like I said before, even though people think they are stepping into freedom, the reality is that they are stepping further into bondage when they step out of the protection and the favor of God. You understand this as a parent, for those of you who are parents here. You know that you have to have some boundaries to protect your children you know it and you do it because you love them how much more is it wise for us to remain within the things that god has ordained for us in our relationships in our marriages in our parenting in our in our work all of those things in the ways that god has ordained for us to live within those things because they're good and pleasing and perfect. And I hope this morning, you know, as we close, is is it's sobering to think about. And maybe something for us to consider carefully about our own lives and to look at these look at our lives and how we're doing in these areas. And to be very conscious and cautious of sin in our lives. And to continually speak to people around us with an urgency because you don't want them to go to a state where they are so hard and rebellious that God hands them over Now, like I said before we don't judge that ever we leave that in God's hands but we can see the effects of it and be warned alright let's close with a word of prayer Father we thank you Lord for your word this morning we're grateful Lord for speaking clearly to us soberingly even there's lots for us to think about and comprehend this week and even next week as we continue to discuss these matters give us your grace O god in jesus name i pray amen